0: Good morning and welcome back to Don't Forget Friday. In 1888, the history of a soda beverage was born. There were three versions of that soda beverage sold by three separate businesses. A gentleman named Asa Griggs Candler acquired a stake in what was called the Pemberton Company in 1887. In 1915, Earl R. Dean's original 1915 conceptual drawing of the bottle for that beverage was designed and a brand was set in place. In 1917, there were three million bottles of that beverage sold per day. And in 1919, the company was sold to a group of investors for a million dollars. By the way, the beverage in question was called Coca-Cola. And in 1977, it took a few years, but in 1977, the bottle was patented and that beverage called Coke was well on its way. And on to the continuing story of Coca-Cola. One Bruce Llewellyn, born July 16, 1927, an African-American businessman who wanted to promote economic empowerment in the African-American community. While he built successful companies and acquired wealth, Llewellyn, with a group of African-American partners, in 1983, purchased the Philadelphia Coca-Cola Bottling Company. And in 1969, Llewellyn acquired Fedco Foods Corporation, a chain of 10 grocery stores in New York City, and expanded it. By the time he sold it in 1982, and when all was said and done, the company had become one of the largest owned retail businesses in the United States. Reginald Lewis, African American businessman, author, born December 7th, 1942 in Baltimore, Maryland. He grew up in a middle class neighborhood, won a football scholarship to Virginia State College and graduated with a degree in political science in 1965, and then on to Harvard Law in 1968, and was a member of the famed Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. In 1992, no less than Forbes magazine listed Lewis among the 400 richest Americans with a net worth of over a billion dollars and the first African American to build a billion-dollar company, Beatrice Foods. In 1987, Mr. Lewis... Purchased Beatrice International Foods from the Beatrice Company for $985 million and renamed it TLC Beatrice International, a snack, food, beverage and grocery store conglomerate. Mr. Lewis at the time was the largest African, had the the largest African-American owned and managed businesses in the United States. TLC Beverage reported a revenue of $1.8 billion. It became the first black-owned company to have more than a billion in annual sales. At the company's peak in 1996, the TLC Beverage International Holdings Corporation had sales of $2.2 billion and was number 512 on Fortune Magazine's list of 1,000 largest companies. Ebony Cotrarian, out for now. Stay tuned. Good morning, and welcome back to Don't Forget Friday, part 2. Mr. Reginald Lewis was six years old when his grandparents asked his opinion about employment and discrimination against blacks. Mr. Lewis, at the time, simply said, why should white guys have all the fun? And a book was soon to be born and later published, of the very same name. Mr. Reginald Lewis grew up to become the wealthiest black man in history and one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Before he left the planet in 1993, he reigned over a commercial empire that spanned four continents. That book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, traced Mr. Lewis's rise from a working-class Baltimore, Maryland, Maryland neighborhood and ultimately into the elite circle of Wall Street dealmakers. At the time of his death, his personal fortune was estimated at $400 million. On a personal note, the title of that book and that book, and this man, Reginald Lewis, personal favorite of mine. On to Jane Matilda Bolin, born April eleventh, 1968. She was the first African-American woman to graduate from Yale Law, and the first to join the New York Bar Association, and the first to join the New York City Law Department. She became the first black woman to serve as a judge in the United States when she was sworn in and onto the bench of the New York City Domestic Relations Court in 1939. This lady was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, and was the youngest of four children her father was an African-American, and her mom was a white British woman. Sadly, Jane lost her mom at the tender age of eight years old and adored her father. Jane always wanted to become an attorney. That was her goal. Ms. Bolin attended high school in her hometown of Poughkeepsie, New York, and was one of the two black students in her class. Then, moving on to Wellesley College in racially tolerant massachusetts one can only imagine that haven for racism and racist beliefs what it must have been like in the 1920s most of the white students ignored her and she lived off campus with other black students she graduated in 1928 at the top tw- in the top 20 of her class then onto yale law where she was the only black student and one of only 3 women She became the first African-American woman to receive a law degree from the heralded Yale Law School in 1931, along with passing the New York State Bar Exam in 1932. Ebony Contrarian, out. Good morning. Squatter update. Yesterday, hopefully and prayerfully, you know who signed his death knell certificate for a removal from the office that he is presently squatting in. Just when you thought the squatter with his infinite lack of wisdom and his ability to speak in a fashion that is singularly devoted to his band of deplorables along with that minute percentage of individuals that feel this poor excuse for a human speaks for them since as whites they are losing their historical chokehold on being the majority and in charge and rapidly becoming the minority. In addition, being increasingly incoherent to many with active gray matter, he has now proved beyond the shadow of any doubt who and what he is, as if there was any doubt. As far as the words he used yesterday to describe countries, disgusting. This country was built on the backs of those people that he's discussing and people that look like them. I can only say this. And excuse me, First Lady Obama, for going low. This individual of rank personage might be the only human on the face of the planet that wasn't removed from his mother's womb, but possibly that same biological, physiological location that he used to describe those countries. For anyone to not understand that these divided states are made up of people from all over God's planet, and that, in fact, that is what makes it great, not white. He has now made the profound case placing America in the most negative position on the world stage, since he supposedly speaks for them, us. (laughs) In the card game of life that we all play one way or another, he is now all in as far as his drive to make America white again. And his racist comments and racist beliefs are in full form by saying all that he has said about who should be allowed in the country versus who should be kept out. Yesterday's unforgettable commentary on immigration, or in total, the squatter's mindset as he sees America, I think of Edmund Burke, the Irish orator, philosopher, and politician, who must be yelling from his grave the all-too-familiar comment on evil. It was Edmund Burke who said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Are there any good men left in the, in the Republican party? Yesterday, he might have reached his zenith when it comes to showing himself as he truly is. As I've said in the past, over the past year on many occasions, his disdain for women and people of color is infamous, obvious, and nauseating. Let's examine some factual information in context, or as I like to call it, His Dirty Dozen. Africa. Once they come here, they won't want to go back to their huts. Stupid. Number two, Haiti. Why do we need more Haitians? They all have AIDS. Take them out. What a moron. Number three, Puerto Rico. They're doing fine now that I've given them all paper towels. Meanwhile, the country is still in peril. Number four, Salvador. One of the countries he has lumped in with his disgusting description. Number five, Mexico. We'll build a wall to keep them out. The rapists, murderers, and drug dealers. Number six, Honduras. Send the 60,000 Hondurans back to Honduras. Also, one of the n- c- countries he's named. Number seven, all Muslims, the Muslim band. Keep them out until we can find out what's going on. Number eight, the NFL players who kneel to disrespect the flag. No, moron. It had nothing to do with the flag. Number nine, women. Pretty ones are okay, as long as they can get I can get to a tic tac. It's just it's just stupid. Number ten, agents, the only people of color allowed. Because they're smart. Yeah, right. Number eleven. Charlottesville white supremacists. They're okay. Some may not be good, but some are good. And number twelve, the colorful, I repeat, colorful people of Norway. All welcome. Come one, come all. Ebony Contrarian, out. Stay tuned for part two. Good morning and welcome back to Squatter Update part two. Since I last discussed the squatter last week, his mental competence has been questioned. Rightly so. His literacy or lack thereof also has been questioned. Possible onset of dementia. Hmm. Repetitive comments over a short period of time. His discussion of being, like, really smart. Who says that as an adult? I don't know anyone. How about you? In addition, possibility of genius. No genius or anyone close to being genius has ever uttered such ridiculous words. His consistency in the world of hyperbole. Exaggeration. His nonstop disturbing affects i.e. the hand gestures the distortions of his facial tics his paranoia when it comes to his eating habits for fear of being poisoned he resorts to eating that haven for good nutrition McDonald's since in that wasteland of a mind he has he believes they never know when he's coming so they can't plan ahead to poison his food Brilliant. A definite example of genius deduction. His fifth grade education, no disrespect to fifth graders everywhere, is consistently on parade for the basket of deplorables that believe in him, along with the whites that believe he will keep them from being the new minority. In closing, I take from this individual and the multitude of nonsense that comes out of the White House. It's the solitary fact that many of his fans love the squatter. He won't lose them. No, he's not unlike them and speaks the way they do and feel as they do. This person should be read his Miranda rights. Paraphrasing, of course, you have the right to remain silent. Please, before you say anything, stop and don't. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. If you give up that right and speak from that disturbing depository that is your mind you should be removed post haste. People of the world if you can hear me, if you are listening, this fake leader presently of the divided states of America does not speak for those of us that comprise The majority of this country that have the ability to think properly his statements on anything that resembles anything and definitely not immigrants should now be seen as the commander in chief with racist genes and racist DNA with hate dripping from his mouth, which is counter to his comments to CNN's Don Lemon when he uttered he is the most non racist person that anyone has ever met. Thank you, Don. On the contrary, those words could not be anything further from the truth. In his distorted, dysfunctional, misinformed mind, the Statue of Liberty's words need a heavy dose of paraphrasing and rewriting so that they mirror his dysfunction in absolute contradiction. The words of Emma Lazarus, her poem, The New Colossus, in the last stanza of her poem, where she says, With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest, tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And with the squatter, send only the white ones. We have enough of the colored. Ebony Contrarian out.